Santa. What are you talking about? I'm Santa Claus. No, you're not. Uh, why, of course I am. <laughs> well, if you're Santa, what song did I sing for you on your birthday this year? Uh, happy birthday, of course. <laughs> uh, so, uh, how old are you, son? Four. You're a big boy. What's your name? Paul. And uh, what can I Paul, get you for Christmas? Don't tell him what you want. He's a liar. Let the kid talk. You disgust me. How can you live with yourself? Just cool it, Zippy. You sit on a throne of lies. Look, I'm not kidding. You're a fake. I'm a fake? Yes. How'd you like to be dead? Huh? No, he's kidding. You stink. I think you're going to have a good Christmas, all right? You smell like beef and cheese. You don't smell like Santa. Okay. He's a monster! All right, so show of hands, everybody, including those of you in the family room, how many people have watched Elf this season? Come on, come on, admit it, all right? Some of you have, some of you haven't. Um, I love the movie Elf, and if you like the movie, then there's probably a favorite scene or a favorite line from the movie that you like. That's, that's one of mine. And I love the story of Elf. I, I love the fact that Buddy loves Christmas so much, right? And he loves being an elf. But it's sort of this story about a guy that doesn't quite fit in in the place that he lives. I mean, he's too big, right, for the world of the elves. And he doesn't make toys fast enough. And they actually have to assign him to quality control in the Jack in the Box room, which apparently is kind of a stressful job. And at one point, he sort of gets all upset, and he calls himself, if you can believe this, a cotton-headed ninny muggins. And nobody wants to be one of those, especially if you're an elf. But really, really the, at the heart of the story is this idea that there's this guy living between two worlds. He's a human living in the world of the elves. And when he finds this out, he gets really disillusioned and upset, and he kind of goes on this journey to find his father and along the way kind of learn something about himself. And he makes all sorts of discoveries. Some of them are really good discoveries, like spaghetti and maple syrup. Who knew? I don't know. They go together, I guess. Or big Christmas trees or revolving doors are really fun as well, as long as you don't run through them too much, right? And then you have the discoveries that aren't so good, like hugging a raccoon. It's not very good. Or the taste of perfume. Or sometimes the best cup of coffee in the world really isn't the best cup of coffee in the world. If you've seen the movie, then you know what I'm talking about. He even finds out, believe it or not, that his father is on the naughty list. Any fathers on the naughty list this year? Okay, no, no, we won't, we won't raise hands for that one. 
And so he goes on this journey and he realizes that in his life, he's sort of stuck and he's sort of on the outside looking in. He's kind of between these two worlds and he can't go backwards in his story. He's got to go forward, but to move forward, it's, it's unclear, it's a little scary, it's a little strange. And one of the things that I love about stories, I mean, I mean the good stories, is that they tell us something true about the world. A good story will tell us something that's true about ourselves. I mean, who in life hasn't felt stuck at one time or another? Who hasn't felt stuck in their marriage or raising your kids or in your job? And you want to move forward in life. You want to move towards a place that's better for you, but it's unclear and you're not sure. And Buddy the Elf, at one point, he's standing on this bridge before everything gets better. And he's all alone. And he's looking out at the river and it's just dark. And maybe for you, as you, as you think about your future, it's, it's a little bit dark. If you've ever been in that kind of situation, then you know what it's like to need some light. You know what it's like to need some hope, and you know what it's like to be waiting and waiting and waiting for both. Historically speaking, on the first Christmas, it was a little bit like that. The world had gotten really dark for ancient Israel. Politically, they were an oppressed people. We're going to see in a minute how Caesar Augustus issued a decree that everybody had to go to their own town to register for a census. Why did they take a census? So that they could tax the people. They don't want to miss anybody. They want to count every single person. And so a people that was already under a heavy economic burden would be even more weighted down. They had no power. They had no military power. Socially, they were being invaded by these Greco-Roman customs. And uh, even amongst the Jewish people, it was dividing them. And there was all sorts of racism and inequality going on, even within the nation of Israel. All sorts of problems. Religiously, they were all over the map. There were all sorts of groups that believed different things, and they fought amongst themselves. Some of them didn't believe anything, really. And the average people, you know, the regular people, were just trying to keep a sense of hope alive. In fact, they were trying to have this faith. They were trying to hold on to this faith in this good God that for some reason had allowed them to enter into such a dark time. And so once in a while, they would remind each other. They would go back and remind each other of the promises of old. The promises, like from Isaiah chapter 9, that came 700 years earlier, about this light that was going to come into the world. Isaiah wrote these words. He says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is what they were waiting for. 
This is what they were hoping for. And this, this great light and the way that he came into the world is what I want to encourage us to take some time before it's too late, before this season gets away from us, to take some time to ponder on this Christmas. I want to encourage you to ponder Christmas. To ponder the great light that is a child that is born to us, fully human, engaging what it means to go through the human experience and to feel what you feel, to be fearful of what you're fearful of, to walk into that dark future, to feel like an outsider looking in at times. To ponder, to ponder the great light that is the Son that is given, the Son, the Son of God, the Divine One that would come and enter into the darkness, even our own deep darkness. God engages us right where we're at. The great light who came 2,000 years ago and inaugurated this movement to redeem the world, to show the whole world what God's love was like. Because when we're stuck and when the darkness kind of presses in and when the future is unclear, we need the wisdom of a mighty counselor, don't we? And we need the strength of a mighty God. We need the intimacy and the love of an everlasting father that has adopted us into his forever family. And we need peace. We need peace that goes beyond understanding. We need peace that even when things don't make sense and they're not adding up and we can't see our way forward, a supernatural peace that only the Prince of Peace can truly offer us. We need what they needed 2,000 years ago. We need a Savior who is Messiah, who is Christ the Lord. So I want to invite you to ponder Christmas before it's too late. And to do that, we need to re-engage the story. We need the story. And so I want to encourage you to pull up Luke chapter 2 in the scriptures there around you. There's some Bibles there or maybe on your phone. And, you know, the thing with the Christmas story is that I know most of us have heard it, right? I mean, if you've watched the Charlie Brown special, then you've heard the Christmas story, right? And so what, what happens when things become familiar is we kind of hear them and they kind of go in one ear and out the other. And so what I encourage people to do when they read the scriptures... What I encourage you to do when you read especially the narrative parts of the scriptures is to use your imagination. Over the the Thanksgiving holiday, my family got together and we were watching old movies. And I was watching my 16 and 15-year-old play dress-up when they were really little. And they had swords and they were running through the house and they were saving the world. And they were using their imagination and it was awesome. Imagination isn't just for kids, but it's actually a gift from God. When we read the scriptures... And we allow ourselves to imagine we have the ability to find ourselves in the text. To find ourselves in the story and to ask, what would it be like if I was there? What would it be like if I was one of them? And so as I read this story to you that's very familiar, I want to encourage you to imagine. Here's how it starts. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David, 
He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the, angel had le- when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And so let's imagine. I mean, imagine what it must have been like to be Mary and Joseph. You're a young couple, you're engaged to be married, and you're pregnant. How did that go for them? I mean, that's a difficult thing in our day and age, but imagine being them. Imagine having to tell your family and friends that you had visions from angels. And oh, by the way, these angels that told you that you were going to have a baby... Uh, they also said that that baby was going to be the great light. You know, the great light that was prophesied 700 years beforehand. Yeah, that's the baby I'm carrying, Mom and Dad. How do you like that? How did that go for them? Must have been kind of strange. How did the journey go for them? I mean, this poor people living in a podunk town, aren't kings born in palaces? And they go from one small town to another, kind of out in the country. And then they get there. And there's no room for them anywhere. How frustrating was that? Or how disappointing must it have been? I was just talking to a mom over in uh, the family room, and she's going to give birth this month. And she's got it all planned out, how it's all going to go. How disappointing must it have been for Mary to have to give birth in a barn and then to take your newborn baby and lay it in a feeding trough? Have you ever wondered why the Christmas story goes the way that it goes? Why does it go that way? 
Or imagine being the shepherds. The shepherds at this time were known, they had this reputation of being untrustworthy. They could not even give testimony in a court of law. They were known to be scoundrels and thieves and liars. I mean, these are the people that God chooses to announce his coming to the world. Why does God roll in that way? Have you ever wondered why the story goes the way that it goes? Or imagine... Imagine being the Magi. We didn't read about them, but they're in Matthew chapter 2. The Magi, the wise men, the magicians, the sorcerers, the people who were advisors, and they knew all about the religions of the world. And somehow they came across this text in Isaiah in whatever country they were from. And they set off on this journey, and they followed a star, which is kind of odd, and probably for a two-year journey because they probably showed up at some point when Jesus was about two years old. It says that they, when, when they came into Jerusalem and then they left, Jerusalem was in an uproar, and Herod, who was already crazy, went completely mad. What was it like being them? They came, they brought gifts, they bowed down in worship, and then they left. Or imagine being Simeon. Imagine being Anna. You could read about them in the rest of Luke chapter 2 couple of oddballs, quite frankly. I mean, these are a couple people that spent their whole lives basically praying and waiting. Pray and wait. I'm praying and I'm waiting. Anna was married when she was young, but her husband died and she spent all of her time in the temple just praying to God. Simeon was told that before he would die, he would see the Lord's anointed. And so he was just waiting and waiting and waiting. What was it like when they finally got to see that baby, the promised one who would set their nation free. Why does the story go the way that it goes? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, this is a story about the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of everything who comes into the world. Why not just come and take care of things from the top down? Isn't that the way that the world works? That's the economy of the world, right? The powerful take control. What's with all the meekness, God? What is it about meekness that is so important to God? And so I want to encourage you to think about the Christmas story. The Bible says that the meek will inherit the earth. But let me ask you a question. How is that working for you these days? How is meekness working in your company? Are those the ones, the meek, that are getting all the raises, the promotions, they're running the show? Is this how it works in the governments of our world? How's it working in your own family, in your relationships? How is meekness working for you? There's something about it that is important to God. And so I've been pondering, I've been thinking, I've been wrestling with this for some time because I want to know why does this story go the way that it goes? And as I've been looking around and, you know, whether it's I'm out shopping or I'm at home and I'm looking at the decorations on the tree or I'm reading Christmas cards or when we sing the songs of Christmas, there's three words that keep popping up. Over and over and over, I've noticed them again and again and again. Three words, love, joy, and peace. 
And you could throw hope in there as well. But love, joy, and peace, over and over again, they seem to be everywhere. And really, when, when I thought about this, I thought, well, yeah, Christmas is about love, isn't it? It's about God's amazing love in Jesus that comes to each one of us and rescues us, rescues us from our sins, teaches us how to love one another, rescues us from the power of shame in our lives, and sets our feet on solid ground. Christmas is about God's amazing love. And it's about joy. Christmas is about joy. It's about this supernatural joy, not just this happy giddiness, kind of happy feeling, but as the scriptures say, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Christmas is about joy. And it's about peace, as I mentioned earlier. It's about this particular type of peace. Jesus says, not as the world gives, but as I give to you. It's about this peace that keeps us whole, this shalom, this wholeness that God ushers our lives into with tremendous healing. Christmas is about love, joy, and peace. It's all from God. It's all found in Jesus, and it's all through the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's all for you and for the world. And I believe that meekness is how we access all of it. Meekness is actually how we experience the deep power of Christmas in our lives every day of the year. It's why meekness is so important to us at Lakeside Church. It's why we put it in our playbook. That's our ethos. That's our DNA. We want to be a community that loves meekness. We talk about meekness on our staff. We share stories of how we see meekness working itself out in the world. There's something about the human design, our human nature, in God's wisdom. I don't really get it, but there's something about meekness that speaks deeply to us as human beings. And so God comes to us in this meekness. A lot of people think that meekness is weakness. That's how often our world defines it. Even you'll find it that way in the dictionary. But biblical meekness is a little bit different. Let me give you a little definition. It means to have the power or strength of God exercised and experienced under control. It means to have power under control. You know somebody that could use a little more meekness in their life? Sometimes dads need meekness with their children. Sometimes, you know, bosses, you need meekness with your employees. Power under submission. There's something about it that I think we need to listen to. To be meek is to submit, it's to surrender, it's to give over the control of oneself to the leading and the authority and the lordship of Jesus. Meekness is what helps us to yield our wills to his will, our plans to his plan, our desires to his desires. Meekness quiets us. It actually slows us down. And it gives us ears to hear and eyes to see the words and the work of God in our lives. Meekness. 
Without meekness, I believe that we will miss the deep things of Christmas, and the power of love and of joy and peace will stay on the Christmas cards and out of our hearts. And I believe that this is why the story goes the way that it goes. And it's not just the story of Christmas. It's all over the scriptures. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's the smallest of the seeds, and yet when it's planted, it grows up and it becomes the largest of the garden plants, and the birds come and perch in the branches and make their nests in the branches. The kingdom of God is something that one by one, person by person, heart by heart, begins to spread. Meekness helps us to ponder Christmas. What would it be like? What would it be like if you pondered the meekness of Christmas this year? What could happen if you incorporated meekness into your life? How could love, joy, and peace be unleashed through you to those 8 to 15 people that God has sovereignly placed in your life, that oikos, that household, those neighbors that God has put in your life? What would it be like? What would it be like if we did that as a community in this region? I think it would be amazing. I think it would be something to celebrate. And I think, like our friend, Buddy the Elf, many people would become unstuck and they would begin to grow towards their happily ever after. In fact, I I think we ought to live life a little more like Buddy the Elf, quite frankly. I mean, he lived by the code of the elves. Do you remember the code of the elves if you saw the movie? It's really simple. Just three things. Number one, treat every day like Christmas. Treat every day like Christmas. Incorporate meekness into your life so much that love, joy, and peace are unleashed through you every day of the year. That's number one. Treat every day like it's Christmas. Do you remember number two? Number two is that there is room for everybody on the nice list. There's always room for somebody on the nice list, even the shepherds and the magi and the oddballs and even even you. There's room for you on the nice list and those people in your oikos, believe it or not, God has made room. And the last one is is great. I love this one. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is by singing loud for all to hear. And the result with transformation in a relationship with God is that God gets the glory. And just like the shepherds went out and sang, just like the angels announced it, just like people glorified God on the first Christmas, we can sing on this Christmas with hearts that are thankful. And so let me encourage you, before this season rushes by and before it gets too hectic and before you lose this season, to take some time And ponder Christmas. Would you pray with me? Father, thanks so much for the way that you come to us. I really don't fully get it, but there's something in the way that you've done it, the way that it's unfolded, your meekness, and the way that you treat us. You don't push us around. You don't shove us. You don't bang us on the head. God, you come to us with... Oftentimes, a still, small voice that says, I love you just as you are. And so come into relationship with me and follow, and I will transform your life. I will help you get unstuck. I will help you journey in through the dark times. And so God, thanks for that. Thanks that you are with us. Thank thank you that your spirit is alive, and we celebrate the launching 
of this movement to redeem the world. And God, I pray that you would work. You would work and have freedom in our midst this Christmas season and that you would draw us close to you, fresh and new, and that we would be able to take some time to ponder that this Christmas season. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.